Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to the Chase the Vase podcast. David, I want to do like the Ric Flair, man. You know, woo, you know, like I am so jacked up to talk to you. I, I am speaking to David Essel, the legend. The way I found you, like I told you, is we shared a portion of the, the Recovery Today magazine. Amazing people. And I just honor to speak to somebody that has your knowledge in recovery. Like, I want to pick your brain. Yeah, absolutely, Brock. Recovery Today magazine, like I'm blown away at how they're changing. Rob is doing an amazing job. You know, it used to be in the box. They used to be in this little box. Yeah, They're blowing it out. Their articles are awesome. They're expanding the reach of recovery. You know, for years, Brock, we thought that recovery really is just, there's only one way to recover. 12 step. 12 That's step. it. And, and if you don't do 12 step, you'll never get healed. We'll talk about percentages. We'll talk about how effective or ineffective that program is. But the the greatest thing that you and I can share with everyone today is that there's a million ways to recover. Thank there's you. a thousand different ways. You know, it all starts with sobriety, but sobriety is not recovery. And we can get into the difference between the two today, you know, and yeah. I'm glad to be with you. I love Man. your energy as well. I love this. This is cool. So if you don't mind, I would like you to intro yourself. I mean, I know that's kind of like the, the easy way out, but Man, you I don't know where to start, to be honest. Well, so, I can do it in about 60 seconds. I have a good it. idea of my background. So 40 years, now 42 years, 42 years in this business. Um, started out in sports psychology, working with athletes for their head. Right. I, I did it for the first 10 years um, in counseling. And then, honestly, I got bored as hell. And in my boredom, I decided to come up and just drop everything, just like many people during the pandemic have had to do. They've lost their jobs. They had to recreate, right? And so in 1990, I decided to drop all of my health and fitness bodybuilders, athletes. I, I kept two. That was it because I wanted to move into general counseling and general coaching. And in 1990, Brock, we created what we call as a hybrid program that includes the best of psychotherapy, counseling, asking the best questions and the best of the world of life coaching, which is action steps and accountability. Thank you. So yes, we combine those two. And before I knew it, you know, I'm helping people with recovery. I'm helping marriages. I'm helping people expand businesses. I mean, we're doing it all. You know, I, I hosted a nationally syndicated radio show for 30 years, television shows for 25 years, uh, 11 books out. I've been writing books for a long time, you know, and, and now joining you in Recovery Today magazine, you know, so it's been 42 years of bliss. But like you, you know, I had 30 years of serious, heavy addiction and extremely functioning you know, um, which people talk about all the time. I mean, there's so many doctors, judges, attorneys Man. who are raging addicts of their own. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. was a raging alcoholic and cocaine addict. But the wild thing is, Brock, in the beginning, while I was still an addict, I was helping people get clean and sober every day. And I never told anyone of my struggles. But the funny thing is, is that when you connect with an alcoholic, and they know you know the deal. They trusted me. They didn't know I was still an addict, but they knew I knew what they were going through. Like they could sense it, right? Like I had compassion. I had empathy. I had all of those things that a counselor or a coach who has never been through 
a serious addiction, they can try to fake it, but they can't feel what you and I have felt in the depths and despair of addiction. Is that why you think maybe psychologists that are in the field of addiction sometimes miss that connection with the addict? They get, they understand empathy and and sorrow and sadness and shit. They they understand those words, but they don't understand the addiction. Is that where they're missing that connection? Yeah. And that's where they'll go to their books and they'll go to quote unquote studies and they'll go to the you know, the number one fallback is 12 steps, you know? And so if you don't know about addiction, you don't know about rational recovery, which is totally mm. different than 12 step. You don't know about smart recovery. You don't know about uh, celebrate recovery, which is church-based. If you're a, a therapist, a counselor, or a coach, and you have never gone through and recovered, it's not that you can't be of some help, but you can't get into the ditches with these guys and girls, you know, like not, and I'm not even talking about sharing war stories because I don't believe in sharing war stories. You know, I really don't. I think it's a waste of time. Like if someone comes in to work with me, they want to hear my story, but they're not going to get it from me, Brock. They're going to have to go to Recovery Today magazine. They're going to have to go to my YouTube channel. They're going to have to go other places because when I'm being paid, I'm not going to take their time and tell them my story. That's not appropriate, if that yeah. makes sense to you. I love that. That, that is so true. And, I, and, and in recovery, I think that's a really uh, slippery slope that leads back to relapse, you know? And, and what was funny is I tell people, I ran a recovery program for almost six years and I had guys come in and they would share their story initially, right? But by the time they left in six months, that story was so much different and so big. So they had blown it out of course. I'm like, that's like the same story you told day one. And so I do, they take on this larger life because they're, they're, they're forgetting the most important thing is that is who I am, redevelopment of me. You know, and so you're hitting it. But here's what I'm hearing. At 12, you were you you started using alcohol. Yeah. Right. At let's see, 14 pot, 15 cocaine, 16 acid. Man, like you started early. Yeah. And you know what? For me, it was well, there was two reasons I started. Actually, if we back it up a little bit more, at eight years of age, I found sugar as a way to calm my anger because I was a really angry child, Brock. There's a lot of reasons behind it. I'm not going to get into it. Everyone has a tough beginning or a lot of us have a tough beginning. No sense to being a victim. A struggle within my family unit. I was an outrageously sensitive human being. Every addict and every alcoholic is an incredibly sensitive human being. I don't care if you wear a motorcycle jacket and you're an addict or an alcoholic, you are a sensitive human being. And one of the reasons that we go to addiction is because the world is too brutal for us. We haven't learned how to handle emotions. So when you're trying to fit in at eight or in 12, when I started drinking, I wanted to fit in with the guys on the beach that were 16 and I was 12. Now you could drink back then at 18, you know, but these were 16 year olds on the beach. And if I wanted to be part of their group, I had to drink warm Budweiser beer. Oh, so I started it, you know, I started it. And the magical thing I found Brock was I hated the taste but I love the fact that it numbed my emotion. I loved being numb. I love not having to feel anger, rage, insecurity, low self-confidence, low self-esteem. And you and I both know addiction covers all of that stuff up and you can feel like you're the greatest person in the world, even though you're a douchebag. As all the world's <laughs> destroyed around you and you're just, yeah, even though you're a douchebag, I love that. So true. Oh my and God. I was a douchebag. I was one during my addiction years, bro. Oh man, I'm telling you. So let me let me even back up. Your goal is to affect 
two, two million people a day. Yeah. I got to know about this. Yeah, this is an interesting story. So for years, you know, we used to set our mission statement based on income. And, you know, so I had a business coach and we'd say, okay, last year we made X amount. Next year, we want to increase that by 50%. So you would say, you know, if, if what's your goal this year? And I would say, I want to make X amount of dollars and we sure. would achieve it. And then the next year and the next year. But Brock, something happened along the way about 10 years ago where I got really bored chasing money. I got really bored that my identity and validity was based on my income, which a lot of guys do it. We get sucked into the vortex. So 10 years ago, I decided to switch it all up and put a totally new goal. We don't even count money anymore. I don't even know how much I make on a monthly basis. And that's the God's honest truth because we understood this. It doesn't matter how much I make if I'm not reaching more people. It doesn't freaking matter. The only thing that matters is reaching more people. So your show, the show I did earlier today, our 2000 YouTube videos that are absolutely free, our weekly newsletter, our Facebook post, our LinkedIn, social media, my one-on-ones, you know, we do about eight to 10 sessions as a counselor every day, you know, one-on-one. So we reach 2 million people every day through a thousand different avenues. And the only real goal we have is to give them hope. Now, it might be hope of overcoming an addiction, saving a marriage, making enough money to survive, finding a new job, losing weight, whatever it is. But we really want people to feel a sense of hope whenever they connect with me on your show, one of my videos, one of my books or articles. It's all about hope. That's a huge thing because I I noticed in Angela Pugh hit me up this week and and I did a podcast with her and she said, addiction's a predator. And I'm like, oh, that's tough because you know, it it attacks us when we're lonely, when we're feeling that sorrow and sadness, right? And so adding hope, How? so let's say you're talking to an addict freshly in, he's trying to get Where do you start giving them hope? Yeah, I say this. Millions of people recover every day without medication, surgery, anything whatsoever. Millions of people in worse situations than you and I could ever believe. If they can do it, we can do it. Let's start. And that's how I start off everyone, you know, because there are people, you know, that I have worked with who are opiate addicts that would come in the office on the floor for 45 minutes, shaking, vomiting, diarrhea. And then they get up and they have 15 minutes of lucidity to work with me. Now, I've never been in that position, Brock, but I can't imagine how hellacious it would be. So that's how we start with hope. There's people in much worse conditions than you and I who are unbelievably sober today. And then I love to give examples, you know, like um, who's the guitarist? Uh, Joe Walsh from the Eagles. Okay. He's been sober like 37 years. Now think about this, right? And I'll, I'll use this as a story of hope. If Joe Walsh can be touring for 37 years sober with one of the biggest bands, the Eagles of all times, and not get peer pressured or seduced into drugs, alcohol, or anything else, you can too. You know, because that guy is getting tempted every freaking moment of his existence on stage, women throwing their panties at him. I'm sure they're throwing grams of Coke and everything else his way too, you know? I mean, so we we give hope by sharing stories of people 
that have overcome this outrageous condition called addiction. I love that. If you don't mind, I'm going to switch a little bit. So you're so you help people with addiction, but then I also know that you're kind of a specialist in cross addiction. Some people don't really understand. I know when I dropped my opiate habit, when I started healing from that, my sex addiction picked up and it started fueling. And people are like, I don't get that. How how does that have? How does that transfer happen? Talk to me about it. Yeah. So the brain is looking for a, a release of dopamine. I mean, all addictions create dopamine, right? And in the beginning, the, the first, uh, did you snort, inject, swallow? What were your, what was your opiate? Right pattern? in my mouth. Just put it in, popped it in. I had so many, I never had to look for it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So when it goes in, when you pop that pill, like a Vicodin or something in your mouth, you pop it in and within about, oh, two to three minutes, the brain starts to get some activity. And the very first thing that lights up in the brain is dopamine cells, okay? The receptors, they go crazy because it's the feel-good part of the drug, right? Now, the first or second drink, same thing. The first cigarette, same thing. Believe it or not, Brock, the first bite of a freaking donut, same thing. So what happens is all the drugs that were emotional spending, same, okay? Going on Amazon and buying what you can't afford, sex, same thing. Everything is lighting up the dopamine receptors in the brain, right? So it feels good at first, but then all of a sudden the brain needs more to get that same feeling. So where you used to have sex once a day or masturbate twice a day, now we're cross-addicting with masturbating four times a day, or we're cross-addicting, you know, if you go into a 12 step meeting, you're going to see a ton of people smoking outside cross addiction, baby. Hey, Bill W, the founder of AA died of lung cancer for God's sake. So he cross addicted, you know, I mean, he, he probably smoked while he drank, but my guess is, and I'm not an expert because I don't, I never read his autopsy report, but my guess is when he quit drinking, he probably doubled or tripled the amount he smoked. When I quit drinking, and this is, I tell this story all the time because it's so sneaky. I would eat a half of a huge carrot cake every night. Sugar has the same effect on the brain that alcohol has. Because you were an alcoholic, that's the sugar, tons of sugar and alcohol. So you were eating a half a cake a night? Every night. Now listen, I'm a a counselor and I thought I was doing a great job, Brock, right? I go, well, at least I'm not drinking. (laughs) You know, it's a great justification. A friend of mine comes over, she opens a refrigerator, she's with me for the weekend and she goes, oh, did you have a party last night? I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, there's half a cake here. I go, no, I ate it. She looked at me and she goes, what? David Essel, who works out every day, who eats clean, who who doesn't drink anymore. You eat half, how often? And all of a sudden I go, oh my God, every night. Oh my goodness. And it hit me, Brock. I had been a major cross addictor. You know, if you go again into 12 step meetings or other type of meetings, they almost always have coffee. Tons of it. Caffeine is a cross addiction. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm doing a 30 day challenge with my guys, right? I'm, I'm taking some clients through. So I'm like, you know what? My biggest addiction right now is caffeine. So I'm a cold turkey. I am 23 days into it and I am, it is the most difficult thing to overcome. Like the brain fog that I have is ridiculous. I'm lethargic. I'm tired. I had no idea. So you're speaking my language. Yeah, brother. And I can help you right now and I'll help everyone else. There's two amino acids. I'd highly recommend that you get on. All right. I'm going to write this down. Yeah. Write it down because they're going to take care of brain fog and it's going to take care of focus and energy. The only thing I'm going to say is before anyone takes these amino acids, do not take them if you're on antidepressants or anti-anxiety pills from your doctor, okay? 
or from the street. <laughs> I don't care where you go. <laughs> right. Okay. Because the amino acids will compete with the pharmaceuticals and you're going to have no positive effect in the brain. So make sure before you do what I'm saying with these amino acids that you talk to your doctor, titrate down on your antidepressants, titrate down on your anti-anxiety meds. Then you can add these natural supplements that are available at any good health food store or amazon.com. Okay. So the first one we recommend is four letters. D is in David. L is in Larry, P is in Peter, A is in Apple, DLPA. You don't have to write this down. The full name is DL-phenylalanine. DL-phenylalanine is the precursor for dopamine in the brain, which means when you take it, it lights up dopamine receptors, which makes you feel good. Okay. It's incredible. It, it is the antidepressant from the opposite perspective. When you take a pharmacological antidepressant, it not like Zoloft, Paxil, Wellbutrin, all they do is numb your emotion so you don't feel the sadness, but that doesn't do anything for the depression or the sadness. It just numbs it. So you're not feeling as low, but you're not improving. When you take DLPA, the exact opposite happens. The brain lights up with additional dopamine, which increases your ability to feel happy, feel uh, at peace, secure. You know, I have an attorney out West. She works ridiculous 80 hours a week. She's always burned out, always in a bad mood. We put her on DLPA four weeks ago. I asked her last week, have you noticed any change? She goes, no, I really haven't. I said, has anyone mentioned anything to you at work? And she goes, why do you ask? I go, I'm just curious. And she said, David, how did you know? Every other day, someone is coming up and saying, wow, you're in a good mood today. Oh, oh man, that's, yeah, right. I like that. Right? It's a subtle move. It's not like when you take DLPA, it's not like drinking coffee and you're going to all of a sudden like be right. wired, you know? Right, right. It's a subtle, subtle move. So you start with 500 milligrams. Okay. First thing in the morning, empty stomach. Wait 20 minutes before you have anything to drink or eat, okay? Now, for you, Brock, what I want you to do, when you get on it, send me a text. You can get, you can get my number through TJ. Send me a text that you started it, okay? And then seven days after you start it, send me another text. We'll go back and forth, and I'll either tell you to increase it to 1,000 or to stay where you are. Okay. But I'll be able to help you figure that out, okay? Yeah, man, I'm I'm excited for this. All my listeners are like, yes, here we go. Good. You know, if people knew how many tools, like I call DLPA a recovery tool. It's one of those things to keep, you know, and brain chemistry can screw us over, you know? And when so we much. talk about dry drunk, you know, someone that's a dry drunk, oh, big deal, you're not drinking, but you're a dick. You have no patience. You're arrogant, right? You know, all that kind of stuff. You're that guy sitting in, in AA and you're pissed off at the world. That's yes. Right. That's right. We all know them. Yeah. Or they're not in AA, but they're still pissed off at their world, right? Yeah. And they're a dick in traffic and they have road rage and they think they're doing great, right? But, you know, absolutely, it's dry drunk. But see, the DLPA can even help the dry drunk person start to feel better. And, and again, we're talking about hope. You know, when someone like you who's dropped another addiction caffeine and you take DLPA and you start to feel a little bit of a, of a lift, that's hope. Like, oh my God, this is kind of working type of feeling, you know? And that's what we want people to feel. I love it. Okay, how about the second one? The second one is called tyrosine, T-Y-R-O-S-I-N-E. Now, tyrosine also works with the dopamine receptors, but in a totally different way. DLPA boosts your mood and tyrosine gets you super hyper-focused. So instead of monkey brain where you're all over the place, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, tyrosine keeps you right on task. And we do the same thing. No antidepressants, no anti-anxiety meds, right? 500 milligrams of tyrosine. 
first thing in the morning. And then we wait to see a week or two if it needs to be boosted or not. Now, for you know everyone's information, I've been on tyrosine and DLPA for 30 years. It's beautiful. I have never had a craving. You know, my mom died two weeks ago. Um, a brutal battle with dementia, a hellacious battle with dementia. I mean, what a dementia patient puts the family through, not of their own accord, because it's it's horrendous, right? So I have never had a craving, brah. When I went to my mom's wake and funeral, there was alcohol. I never, I didn't even see the station. I swear to God, that's how deep my recovery has become. Mm, yeah. Could I ever relapse? I don't know how. I mean, I'm sure I could somehow. I mean, it's been a long time. I've gone through bankruptcy, divorce, the death of my mom, all kinds of stuff. And I've never relapsed. I've never even thought about it. But if you don't have a daily program, a, what we call in our, we, we, we teach a program called Holistic Addiction Recovery. So we teach a program and, and in there we go through all of these tools. And one of the most important things we say to people is if you don't have a written daily ritual of your recovery tools, at some point, you're going to step out. At some point, you're going to relapse. That is so important. Yeah. You know, and, and what do those tools look like? Well, for me, number one are the amino acids. So first thing in the morning, I get up, I take my amino acids, I go back to bed, put the coffee on. Sorry to say that. I actually drink coffee, but, but you know, I drink it nine-tenths decaf and one-tenth coffee. Regular coffee, you know, it's mainly decaf, but I love the taste of coffee. So I'm going to keep drinking my decaf, but I'll take the supplements. So that's my tool. Number one is the supplements. Number two, I go back to bed and meditate for 20 minutes. Okay. Number three, I get up and I start to go through my gratitude states. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for my recovery. I'm grateful for all these different things. Right. And then I look at, do I have any resents? Am I frustrated with anyone? from the day before. And if I am, I have a routine I take my through myself through to release the resentments. Then I do journaling and then I start my day. So the first hour of every day is all recovery tools. That's all I do is recovery tools. And you know, Brock, if everyone would just do this one thing that I'm saying, come up with a list of really powerful tools and the first thing in the morning, don't go to your damn iPhone, your your television. You know, don't yeah. go online. Don't don't go anywhere. Stay away from all of your online crap for the first hour. That is to me the most important hour in recovery every day. Yeah, you got to win the hour. Yeah, you got to win the hour. Absolutely. So let me ask you. I, I noticed that one of the biggest it's a attribute that all of us carry as addicts, and that is the self regulation, right? And so I wanted to chat with you a little bit because I, I I feel like if it's not the opiates, if it's not the sex addiction, it's not the caffeine. I have a really hard time, like just even my time, regulating my time. So how do we overcome this as utilizing some tools? All right. So we go now to getting very structured. You know, one of the things the addict or alcoholic hates is structure and routine. You know, we love to be free spirits and do what we want when we want. I mean, especially when we were using, we did, right? Uh, amen. And we carry those traits into recovery. So I make sure in recovery that people have really powerful time management skills. And what does that look like? So the night before, so tonight, every person that I have in my recovery program is already writing out their schedule for tomorrow, Brock. Yes, yes. Right on, right? It's like they know what they're doing every 30 minutes. You know, from 7 to 7.30, I do this. 7.30 to 8, I do this. 8 to 8.30. So I have them break it into 30-minute periods of time. If there's a space that's open, that could lead to boredom, insecurity, frustration, whatever it is. We say, what could we put in there as a tool? Do you want to meditate twice? Do you want to go for a walk during that break? But we look and make sure 
and we're not obsessive trying to pack every second of every day with stuff, but we want to make sure there isn't a lot of lag time. You know, that freedom is not good for the early person in recovery. Killer. It is. Yeah. And Brock, I want to mention this because I think it's important. Even as a counselor and, and a minister and a coach and an author and all these other titles, all these other titles I have, my first year of recovery sucked. I was filled with anxiety, depression. I couldn't stand it, right? I had counselors. I was doing everything, but it was hard. It wasn't hard from a relapse point of view, but my brain chemistry was shot without alcohol and drugs. You know, we, none of us feel normal, right? Like that normal, normal feeling of being high, right? So my first year was terrible. And I tell people that because I don't want people looking up to you or looking up to me that we have success, that it's always been easy. Hell no. The first year sucked. And if you know, some of our viewers and listeners right now are going through a tough first year. I ask people to accept it. Now, let's go to this word that I love, emotional regulation. This is the key to success, happiness, and recovery. So what is emotional regulation? Um, in 1980, I had a mentor who passed away last year. His name was Ram Dass. Ram Dass was one of the greatest spiritual teachers that ever walked this earth. He was a Jewish kid. He was a professor at Harvard. His name was Richard Elstein, and he ended up going to, to, to India, as many gurus have, to find their way. And here's a funny story. He was tripping on acid constantly. Him and O'Leary were teaching students at Harvard how to meditate while taking acid. <laughs> so they had all of these freaking Harvard students high on acid while they're meditating, right? Well, leave it to Harvard to let it go on for a while. And then they finally woke up and said, we got to get rid of these guys. So Ram Das goes to India before he was named Ram Das, he was Richard. So Richard goes to, to India and he meets one of the greatest teachers, Baba G, that he's ever met. And Baba G says to him, why are you here? And he says, I want to be enlightened. And he said, well, what do you think I can teach you? And he said, I I want you to teach us the deepest form of meditation that we can do while taking this. Oh, man. And he says, what's this? He said, acid. He said, you have a whole bag. And Richard Alba goes, yeah. He goes, let me see it. So he hands over 100 hits of acid to the guy. And the guy opens the bag and puts it all in his mouth. All 100 hits. And, and Richard is freaking out. He's going, no, no, you're going to die. It's going to kill you. 20 minutes later, no effect. 30 minutes later, no effect. And Richard looked at him and he goes, what's going on? And he said, I already have the divine within me. And so do you. If you're trying to find God, he's already here. You don't need a substance. And I just proved it. That substance does nothing when you have God. I have God. Would you like to find him? And Richard dropped to his knees and started praising this guy, right? And then, you know, he became this outrageous Ram Das, this incredible spiritual teacher. What we forget, I think many times in the world of addiction recovery, we're so afraid to let go of the substance, the behavior, you know, gambling is a behavioral addiction, right? Believe it or not, food is a behavioral addiction Absolutely. and a substance addiction, right? So we've got all this stuff, but we don't know how to emotionally regulate. So we, and the story that Ram Das gave me that explains emotional regulation is beautiful. There's two people heading to the airport. They don't know each other. They're in the same town different cars, obviously. They get a mile from the airport and there's this massive traffic jam. So they turn on their radio and they find out and miss their flights. So the non-emotionally regulated person slams his hand on the dashboard, picks up his phone, calls everyone he can bitching about how he's going to miss his flight and he's got this and all he's doing is complaining, right? That's like the dry drunk. The person who has emotional regulation slams his hand on the dashboard one time, goes, damn it. Then he gets on the phone and makes a new reservation. Amen. That's emotional regulation. So I go to my mom's funeral. Let's say I had a craving. 
I didn't, but let's say I did. I would go, all right, what tool do I need to pull out to walk away from this craving? And that says that we are in control of every emotional experience that we have in life. And that's emotional regulation. And every addict who, every alcoholic, Brock, who learns how to emotionally regulate finds pretty soon that they really don't need the drugs that they thought they needed or the substances or the sex or whatever, because they're able to control their own urges. Beautiful, beautiful thing to do. Nice. Okay. I want to end with this for the sake of time, because I think this is really important. And I heard you talk about it on recovery today, but I also had a phone call today from a parent and the parent was talking to me about genetics. And she said that her, her dad was an alcoholic. She became an alcoholic. Therefore her son ultimately has to be an alcoholic. And I heard your input on that. And I loved it. I don't want to piecemeal your information, but I would love to hear it from you on what you think about genetics and alcoholism and drugs. Yeah. Brock, this is one of those things that I just have to shake my head. So let, let me say this. Genetics doesn't cause any addiction in the world. Now, I'm going to slow this down. Genetics has no influence in causing a person to drink, to smoke, to shoot up. Okay. It has no influence in the cause. If I, I carry the gene of alcoholism, I had an aunt that died of wet brain. And if anyone knows what that is, it's a hellacious way to die. We know of all the people in my, my brother was a former alcoholic. He's clear, you know, so we know it's our genes are filled with alcoholism, but here's the thing. It still has nothing to do with the cause of it. And when you look at a genetic disorder, the only way to treat a pure genetic disorder is with medical intervention. If you're going to treat cancer, cystic fibrosis, it's going to be medical. That's the only way you're going to see improvement or that's the only way you're going to see a tumor disappear unless it's a miracle, right? Unless like you pray and it happened, that's called a miracle. But anyone who has a genetic disease has to have medical intervention, medical treatment. There is no medical treatment for addiction that has ever worked for everyone or even a small amount of people. Mm. You know, when, when I tried to get sober, I went to my doctor. We researched every study in the world of different medications that supposedly help people stop drinking, right? I took them all. They all made me want to drink more. They feel like crap. I'd be taking baclofen or one of these other drugs and I'd go home and I'd feel like crap and I go, I'm going to drink. Oh, thank God. I feel better. You know? So there's nothing that we have that helps people get clean except for a choice. It's a choice to call you. It's a choice to call me. It's a choice to, you know, mm. even though I went to a treatment center, I'm not a huge fan of them because most of them still work on the 12 step principle. And the reason I'm not a fan of 12 step is because they've never updated their damn information in 80 years, 80 you years. Know, so 80 years. Now, can you imagine, a, I, I use this example all the time. Can you imagine a car dealer not using computers, but working out of file cabinets from 80 years ago? How successful are they going to be, right? Like everyone in the world updates their programs except for 12 step. When they have a 10% success rate, for those people who are a part of the 10%, don't change a thing. Stay in 12 step. If you're happy and you haven't cross addicted to sugar, nicotine, alcohol, sex, drugs, shopping, whatever, if you have not cross addicted to anything and you're happy, stay in 12 step. But for the 90% of people it doesn't work for, You've got to try everything in the world to find your niche and your pathway. But let's go back to genetics. If genetics was the cause of addiction, there would have to be a genetic medical answer to get people sober. Yet millions of people get sober every day. 
without any medical help at all. So that's why we have to say, stop spreading the lies. Well, you know, and then at 12 step, they say, it's not your fault. It's genetics. It's not your fault. Well, shit. If I hear it's not my fault, it's genetics, my foot's out the door. And all I'm going to do is go, well, it wasn't my fault. I have the gene. So we've got to change this terminology. You know, in 12 step, they say once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Well, why the hell do I want to go and work if I'm always going to be an alcoholic? Why do I want to sacrifice my alcohol if I'm still going to be an alcoholic? David Essel is David Essel. I'm not a former alcoholic. I'm not a former addict. I'm nothing. I'm David Essel. I don't carry those labels. They don't mean anything to me. Now, you and I are talking about it to help others. So I'll talk about addiction to help others. But if you say, who is David Essel? You're never going to hear me say I'm an ex-alcoholic or a former alcoholic. I'm not. It's over. It's done. That part of my life is never coming back. I'm healed forever, Brock. And anyone that wants to be healed forever can be. And join my program, join Brock's program, but don't think you can do it on your own. If you haven't gotten sober yet by yourself, it ain't going to work by yourself. Man, you're, you're ruffling feathers. I'm hearing people going, oh, I can't believe this guy's saying it, but there's some, there's some validity to it as well. I, I agree with you. And I like the part you said, hey, the 10% stay there, yeah. but, but you got to find what works for you. And not everything works for everybody. No, Brock, you know, when I went to a treatment center, And in the treatment center, the medical director called us all together. There was 120 people in my treatment center at that time. And she said, how many people think you're going to be sober at the end of a year? Of course, everyone raised their hands. She said, you 12 stand up. And she goes, that's how many people are going to be sober in a year. 10% of this group. That's an expensive freaking treatment center. Expensive. I mean, it was expensive as hell. I walked out making a choice that my choice was sobriety for life. And this is something else I'm going to share that's going to piss some people off, Brock, but I know you don't mind that. Man, I believe I just, well, this. Yeah, go ahead. I think one day at a time, sobriety is the biggest joke and waste of effort in the world. And I wrote an article, and this is what I compared it with. If you went to your wife and said, I'd like to marry you, but I just want to marry you one day at a time, how many wives would be excited about that? None. 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 How many wives would go, well, I'm, there, I'm sure someone would go along with it, but you shouldn't. Okay. So why are you afraid to make a commitment in sobriety that you'll make in a marriage? When you marry someone, you marry them for life. So what we say is throw this crap one day at a time out the door and get serious. Commit to sobriety for life. Then you're serious. Don't play this game. I'm going to be sober one day at a time. Ask your wife if she'd be okay with you marrying her one day at a time. She'll tell you, go to hell. After you get out of hell, come on back. And if you're serious, Stay recovered for life. I want recovery for life. And when I work with my clients, I get them all to that space. Man. Every single one of them gets to a place that says, I'm going to be sober. I'm going to be recovered for life. Now we can do some great work, Brock. Okay. Then I'm going to ask one more question that makes a lot of people mad as well. And I'm, I'm going to preface it with my opinion. And this is just because I have to take a stance on this. I hate when we talk about making relapse optional. Okay. Like we open the door for a possible relapse down the road and it's okay to have, I, that is my biggest pet peeve in recovery. I am not recovering to fail down the road and I'm not putting that in my mind. What is your personal philosophy about that? Oh, I am right with you. You know, when, when they say relapse is part of recovery, I go, are you a jokester? Like how sophomore that's a kindergartner saying it. You know, that's someone that's saying that I don't want to be serious. I don't want to be sober for life. Relapse is part of recovery. There's my justification for a foot out the door. Any organization, I don't care if it's church-based, 12-step, 
who's teaching and preaching this crap is hurting everyone's chance for recovery today. When you say relapse is part of recovery, you're jerking people around. You're putting them down. You're increasing their odds of relapse. You're, I agree with you a thousand percent. That kind of terminology needs to get tossed out of addiction recovery. You know, listen, Brock, your show, Rob's Magazine, Recovery Today, there are more and more people coming out of the woodwork saying, got to wake up and create a new path of recovery because the one that we're leaning on sucks. I mean, when a major recovery center says 10% of you is going to be sober in a year, that's a sobering statistic, and that's really bad. So why don't we change it there? Why don't we change it? I mean, you have 120 people sitting in front of you. Why can't we make the change there? Why, why isn't there a change in philosophy or idea. Yeah. Well, it starts with outliers. You and me are outliers in the world of recovery. We're willing to take the heat. We're willing to talk the truth. We're willing to rock the boat because the programs we have suck. Okay. They absolutely suck in this country. So there has to be outliers, people on the fringe that a lot of people don't like. And we are the ones that are going to make the change. We're the ones that are going to keep talking about this. We're not going to back down. You put me on a show with a medical doctor that's going to try to convince me that you know, alcohol is caused by genetics and I will tear them apart. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I'll just keep saying, and, and then how do 2 million people a day get sober? Go ahead, right. doc. Oh, okay, doc. How do 2 million people a day get sober, doc? Without medication. Without medication without, medication. Or without surgery. Yeah, I, I appreciate this, man. If you don't mind, just real fast, what do you think about like medically assisted medication, like MAT programs? You know, I, I think in the beginning, there are like antidepressants, anti-anxiety, and, and even the use of, if it's clinically controlled, THC substances, in order to move us away from a serious addiction, we can sort of modify it down. You know, And like, let's talk about Suboxone. Okay, when I work with an opiate addict, I ask their doctor to put them on a maximum of 90 days of Suboxone with a titrate program the last 30 days. So they're on the full dose for 60 days. The last 30, we're weaning them off because I don't think people should be on Suboxone for more than three to six months at the most. But I got a guy the other day that's been on Suboxone for 10 years, Brock. Yes. And guess what happened when his prescription ran out two weeks ago? He almost died. He went and got heroin. Yep. Okay. He couldn't get in to get his Suboxone. The doctor wasn't available. And so he went back to the street. So, but that's a guy that's been on it for 10 years, you know? Now, some people think my titration program is too quick. I don't think so because 90 days, you sh if you're with a really good recovery program, you should, get you off. should be able to, yeah, you should yeah, be able you to should do get it. off. Awesome, man. This was so enlightening. I appreciate it, man. I like, I, I get fired up talking about recovery. I just got to, you know, I love yeah. it. I love your passion. I'm thank I'm so thankful for the hiccups before, but, uh, I'm a Thank fan. You, I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. And I want to hear from you with the DLPA. Let me know how it works, you know, and it, and for your listeners that if, if you ever want to do work with me or check out, go to the site, talkdavid.com. Really easy to remember, talkdavid.com. You can look at our recovery program. Our, our magazine that you and I are in is, is on my website, you know, so, you know, go ahead and, and check it out. And just remember, the most important thing is recovery. Millions of people before us have done it and have stayed. They have nothing that you don't have to be sober and in full recovery. We all have the same power. It's a matter of, do you want to use your power or do you want to use excuses? That's what it comes down to. I love it. 
So if someone wants wants to get a hold of you, website, what's the best what's the best format? Yeah, the easiest one to remember is talkdavid.com. T A L K david.com because I all I do is talk, Brock. Cuz I know there's a lot of people going to want to be reaching out to you as well. Because yeah. this is this is not I mean it's not new information, but it's like it's different information that we share. It's it's progressive. You know, you 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 got to take what works for you and, and expand on it, you know, and that's, that's a big thing. And I appreciate you being so vocal about it. You know, I like having somebody agree with my philosophy on, on, you know, I like that. Make this even more valid. You know, I went 120 straight days to meetings, to AA meetings. You know, when I got out of my treatment center, I said, I'm going to do exactly what they tell me I'm going on. They said 90, but of course being an addict, I had to up the game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I did 120. I got everything I needed out of the 12-step program. I saw a bunch of problems with it, but there are some benefits. Walking into a room and being humble and saying, I have a problem, that's one of the greatest benefits of 12-step to me. One of the greatest benefits is being vulnerable and humble and walking into a group of strangers and going, I have an issue. That's the number one benefit of 12-step. And so after I got what I could get out of the program, there was no need to return. And we just continued to recreate our holistic addiction program with things like what we've talked about, amino acid therapy, deep emotional regulation. You're not going to learn this stuff in 12-step, celebrate recovery, or smart recovery. You've got to go to independent programs in my belief system to get the best information available today, Brock. Yeah, like, and for example, a lot of people talk about is childhood trauma. You're not going to get that in AA. No, and you know the sponsors do the best they can, but they're not trained. They're not yeah. trained. All their training is attending meetings. For God's sake, there's so much we know about the mind, dopamine with the tyrosine, the DLPA. There's so much we know about emotional regulation. You mentioned trauma, which we didn't even get a chance to talk yeah. about. If you have trauma from childhood and you don't go back with a counselor or a therapist and heal it, you're setting yourself up for relapse. Yeah. Cause it's going to, that cycle is going to keep coming back around. That's yeah. right, Brock. You know it, brother. Absolutely, man. Every time punching the face. Exactly. Yeah, I, know. I would love to talk to you again. I would love to have you back on the show. I think you're super informed. We didn't, probably didn't even break into the to the big topics, but I appreciate you. And so, if anybody Thanks. needs to get a hold of you, I'm gonna I'm gonna attach your information. I know you just came out with a a spicy book. You know, <laughs> I know that was a big deal for you. Absolutely, Huge. you're doing big things, man. And I appreciate. It. I'm I'll, I want to push my listeners to hear what you have to say as well. Good. Thank you, Brock. I Absolutely. really love this. And anytime you want me back, just grab TJ and he'll book us. Yeah, we got to do it. <laughs> we fixed Zoom this time. <laughs> have a great one. You too, Brock. You've been listening to Chase the Vase Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.